Good to have you along. I'm Jerry Agar in for John Moore. He'll be back on Monday here on News Talk 1010. Meanwhile, it's a White Coat Wednesday with medical correspondent Dr. Mitch Schulman. Dr. Mitch, good morning. Good morning. Nice to be talking to you. I'm jumping right to the thing that attracts my attention on this list of possible topics, and it is, is it okay to hold your pee? <laughs> it's a common thought, huh? Uh, I don't know about you, but growing up, going to school and all of that, right, you had to have permission to go to the bathroom. Um, you're on a long car trip and all that. It happens all the time. It, it turns out it's not a great idea. You know, from time to time, rarely if you have to do it, okay. But by and large, it's good to get into the habit of going when you really sort of need to. So you don't have to force yourself to. Now, they say on average most people go about eight times a day. I think it's really a function of what you, what's in your diet, how much you're drinking, how much liquid is in your food, what your activity level is. Um, and certainly you aim to start off with a concentrated or dark urine in the morning and one that gets lighter during the day. That tells you that you've drunk or had enough to drink uh, in terms of liquid content during the day. But the danger with holding it in is it does weaken the muscles of the bladder. And with time, you can get into problems controlling your bladder. You can get into trouble with overflow. You can get into trouble with what we call incontinences when you lose ability to control your bladder. There's theoretically an increased risk of infection because there's always bacteria hanging around. And the longer they can grow in that soup, the more danger there is that they'll reach significant numbers and cause an infection, which could even go up and infect your kidneys. So for all sorts of reasons, it's good to get into the habit of going when you need to, not forcing yourself to pee unnecessarily, but certainly going when you need to and not making it a habit to hold things in uh, until you really, 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 really need to go. Okay, two things on that. First of all, is it not true, Dr. Mitch, that no matter what the mind thinks, at some point the body's going to say, we got to go and we're going to. You know, um, there is some some truth to that, but oftentimes it's at such a high quantity, a high volume within the bladder that you could do some destructive damage. So, yes, in theory, but the reality is you can't count on that as a system that protects you from danger. Okay, and the other one was, have you ever been in the middle of an operation and you say, I'd like to suture this bladder, but right now my own needs some attention? Um, so, when, especially when I did when I did my training, and we were in the midst of procedures, especially in things like neurosurgery, which took hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, very long procedures. Yes, that would happen. And I, I've been in the situation, surgeons, I'm sure, know what I'm talking about when they say you scrub out, you deal with what you need to deal with, and you come back. It's usually such a short delay. It's not a problem. But yes, many doctors, myself as an emergency room physician, there are times when you need to go and cannot go because things are really at a critical stage, not just for your bladder, but for the patient. And so many of us who've gotten into the habit of, um, let's just say, not going when we need to, which is probably not very good for our health. Yeah, well, I, I guess when you go into the operating room, it's the same as when you go for a drive. you got to go before you go. Um, we suggest strongly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, poor oral health could affect the brain later in life. Yeah, now this study itself, by itself, you have to be careful of. It's going to be presented at the American uh, Academy of Stroke uh, uh, meeting that's starting, I think, today, uh, stateside. And basically, they looked at something like 40,000 people who were registered in the UK Biobank, 
and they followed them for a period of time, and they found that there were 105 gene variants, changes in the genetic structure, which predisposed these people to bad teeth, poor dental hygiene, poor dental health. And at the same time, they scanned their brains and found that those people who had those genetic changes also were more prone to have problems with their concentration of white material, which is the wiring within your brain and other things like that. Now, there's two huge caveats with the study, not with the information, but with the study. One, there's no proof that this meant that they were having brain problems. It's just that there were anatomical defects in their brain that could potentially, in the future, lead to things like brain problems like Alzheimer's or dementia or things like that. But it didn't actually happen yet. And two, these were genetic defects in the teeth. In other words, dental hygiene, not necessarily a problem with dental hygiene. And we're, the other thing we have to keep into consideration is maybe those genetic variants don't just affect your teeth and their health, yeah. but your brain and its health. And so if you just saw this study, you'd go, mm. but, and here's the key but, this builds on a huge amount of data that we've accumulated over at least the last 30, 40 years that's saying if you don't take good care of your teeth and you're pregnant, you have a tremendously increased risk of pro problems during your pregnancy. If you don't take care of your teeth, you run the risk of high blood pressure, an increased risk of heart attack and stroke. And so there is a wealth of corroborative data, scientifically used for saying, you know what, take good care of your teeth. Um, the cost of taking good care of your teeth, brushing and flossing, really minimal in terms of the potential benefits. So whereas this study may have some weakness in it, the body of literature strongly favors taking good care of your teeth. All right, I, I, we've run up against the clock. I only have a minute or so, and I hope that uh, there's enough for you at least to say something on this. People are zapping their brains to improve focus. Don't. Uh, just yeah. don't. That was the short answer. I don't even know the what this means. The short answer is don't do it. There is beautiful research, very well controlled in scientific laboratories, showing that specific uh, stimulation through the, uh, through the vault, in other words, extracranial, in other words, putting something on your head and gently stimulating parts of the brain under it can help people with depression and other illnesses. The thing is, those are very carefully controlled in terms of the amount of energy and where it's going in your brain. When you buy one of these caps over the counter or through Amazon or through whatever online agency you're using, you have no idea about the energy. You have no idea exactly what part of the brain and there are risks, not just the skin risks of irritation, burn, and all that, but the underlying brain risks of damage, prolonged stimulation causing perhaps seizures and other things. So very interesting research, but needs to be properly controlled. This is not a do-it-yourself-at-home thing. Finger in the socket, not recommended? It's the same type of idea. Okay, thanks very much. Dr. Mitch, always good to have you. It's a pleasure. Have a great one.